What makes Christianity unique amongst all world religions? That was a question that was posed to C.S. Lewis a number of years ago by an inquirer, expecting, you know, ah, there's all these different religions out there. They're all mostly the same. Well, what makes Christianity unique of all things? And the inquirer was perhaps surprised that C.S. Lewis didn't even bat his eye. He just said, oh, well, that's easy. Grace. Grace is what makes Christianity truly unique amongst all the world religions out there and all the claims of all the religious pontificates and philosophers throughout the centuries. But grace is one of those Christian words that you really only hear in a church setting. It's in, uh, we, it, we, what does it actually mean? It means God's unearned and unmerited favor. It's not something I've worked for. It's not something I have earned, but something that God just freely gives to whom he get, to whom he wills, to his people. Now along the end, all other religions are defined by works. On this line of grace and works, you can divide all other religions from biblical Christianity. It's, it's just how they are. In Hinduism, they teach you that you have to work to pay off your karma debt. In uh, Buddhism, they teach you that you must work to achieve nirvana. Uh, Muslims teach that you must die with more good deeds than bad deeds accomplished across your lifetime. And someone is keeping count of all of your actions. And there is a counterfeit version of Christianity that teaches that, oh, if I'm a good person, I will be accepted into heaven. We never really define what a good person is or how you get there, but that's, that's perhaps the trick of it. Now, all of these versions of religion uh, that fall into the category of works paint this picture of us reaching up towards the heavens and striving to be accepted to the other side of eternity. But biblical Christianity is the only one that paints a picture where the Savior reaches down, offers us a hand to lift us up to where he is. It's a subtle, perhaps, but incredibly profound difference that sets Christianity aside from all other religions, worldviews, and faiths. And the narrative of Maundy Thursday really encaptures why it needed to be this way. Why there was no way we could save ourselves and we needed to be saved by grace alone. Because as you read in our readings today, and thank you guys for reading for us before, the, the night before Jesus went to the cross was a series of failures from the disciples and the apostles. The night when Jesus was washing their feet, the disciples were still arguing who was the greatest in Luke 22. The the night that the Holy Spirit reveals to Peter that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, minutes later, Jesus calls Peter Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And later denies him three times. 
The same night that Jesus prayed that we would be one as he is one with the Father was the night that the disciples scattered from the garden and left Jesus alone. And while Jesus was giving his high priestly prayer, one of his 12 closest friends, one of the disciples, the son of perdition Judas, betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, the cost of a common slave at that time. And while Jesus was asking for prayer, his disciples all fell asleep, unable to pray for a single hour while Jesus was up all night praying. Aren't you guys glad you came to church tonight? Nice positive message. <laughs> but the te- We have to be honest with the texts that are before us. Thursday was not a great night for Jesus' followers. And it made a statement about the strength of men, about the strength of our resolve, about how together we are, and truly about our need for a Savior. Because the disciples can't even make a claim towards assisting what Jesus would later accomplish. Jesus did it all. And he did it in his strength, and he did it alone. Because the disciples weren't boldly encouraging Jesus as he marched towards the cross. They had scattered. They left him alone. They weren't standing with him in solidarity with him at the foot of the cross. Because they were scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Except for the women who were gathered with him, and one of the apostles who still stood with him. He was alone at the, at the cross. Frankly, a pathetic turnout. And I don't have anything against the apostles. I'm not placing myself above them by any stretch of the imagination. I imagine I would have failed too. I know myself and my own flaws, my own tendencies, my own cowardice. I don't claim I would have done better. But I say all this encouraging information to point out that the apostles couldn't even take credit for what Jesus accomplished. They did nothing to contribute towards what Jesus would do merely hours later on the cross. And this clearly showcases to us that even in the days of the disciples, even with the heroes of the faith that we record and remember in Scripture, even amongst those men, they contributed nothing towards their salvation except the sin that made their salvation necessary. Except the contributing that very sin that needed to be atoned for by our Savior. And yet, even with that truth, Jesus still would declare complete victory over sin and over death just three days later when he rose again on Easter. Oh, and I can't wait to celebrate that with you in a few days. High point of our faith. Completely different tone, and I'm already getting ahead of myself. But that's why our faith rests entirely on who Jesus is and what he has done for us that we don't stand in the strength and conviction of men or within ourselves, but in Jesus alone, that we are saved through grace alone, through faith alone, through the work of Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. 
And that's why we can proclaim with conviction that beautiful hymn that says, Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. How beautiful is that truth? And you know, as we consider the failures of the apostles, you know, we look at the world today and we haven't done much better. I mean, Christian, Christians today still fail perpetually. Megachurches are wrought with scandals these days. I'm sure you've heard. You don't need me to get into the details. Pastors are caught living duplicitous lives, denying through their actions the faith they proclaim. Entire denominations have abandoned the truth of the scriptures and sought after their own philosophies. And there's a rising number of even evangelicals that are falling away from the faith. But you guys know this. We can do better. We ought to do better as the church of Christ. But we ought not be shocked. The strength of man has always been weak. Thursday night proves it. Monday, Thursday proves it. But even after watching these things happen, even watching after some of my own so-called heroes of the faith stumble and fall and disgrace themselves, my faith is unshaken by that. And that's not because my faith is so great or because I am so wise or so holy. It's because it, my faith was never founded on men in the first place. My faith, what I believe, the structure of all that we proclaim within this place is rested in who Jesus is and what he has done for me. Not men, even good men. It's like knocking down one of the, a non-load-bearing wall in your house. You know, I've got some walls in my house that were put up after the fact that you can just knock them over and the structure of the house is intact. It doesn't change anything. I mean, I got a mess that I need to clean up after knocking one down. That's uncomfortable. But the structure of the house is fine. The foundation is untouched. It's the same with us. It's the, our faith is not resting in the strength of men, but in Christ. And, and, and because, after all, neither Peter, James, nor John died on the cross for me. Tom, uh, Paul didn't carry the cross. Thomas's body wasn't broken for me. Andrew did not shed his blood for me. It doesn't rest on them. It rests entirely on the completed work of Christ. So even when people fall into the desires to get rich, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all things that the scriptures warn us against, we can rest assured of where our foundation lies. Are we saddened when a brother or sister in the Lord falls and fails? Yes, but does it shipwreck our faith? Hardly. And if it happens, it perhaps it merely just shows that our faith was resting in the wrong person in the first place. That our faith, it, it, maybe it reveals to us, our faith was too well rested in a hero or somebody who shared the gospel with us when we were younger. Or in a denomination or in a movement that has gone astray. We can't let ourselves be bothered by that. Or shaken by it, I should say. Bothered, yes. 
And for all the bashing that I'm doing, (laughs) this is actually comforting to us. Because if even if the apostles were all failures, weak in the flesh, poor listeners, men of weak convictions, well, that gives hope for people like me. Because I can't claim to be better. I too am not a superman of the faith. I don't belong in any of these stained glass windows. I'm I'm just as broken as the next person. I imagine, you know, I'm meeting many of you tonight for the first time, but I imagine many of you are too. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That what saves us, what secures us, what gives us assurance of our salvation is not our own works, our own goodness, our own righteousness. It rests in the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us that we will be celebrating tomorrow night and commemorating it in another way, what it prefigured tonight. So the obvious question emerges. Who are you trusting in tonight? If you were to die tonight on your way home and you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? Is your gut reaction a work that you have done or a pattern of works that you have done? Your church attendance (laughs) or your your years listed in church membership, what what would your gut reaction be? I hope none of those things, because those are all things that depend on us. That same strength that failed that first Maundy Thursday. Or do you plead the words of the faithful hymn that we sing in our church, Rock of Ages, that says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. So I plead with you guys, as your brother in Christ, examine your heart tonight. Don't, and let your answer be trusting in the completed work of Christ on the cross. Don't trust in the failures of men, but trust in the success, the victory over sin and shame that Christ brought and proved that he accomplished such three days later when he rose again and left that tomb empty. Thanks be to God. Amen.